Here in just a second, I'm going to have the privilege of welcoming a really close brother who I've known for years. And I know you guys are going to be excited and just lit by what he's getting ready to say and release because he's been tapped into the Father's heart in a unique way for a number of years. We were upstairs right before service started and Pastor Tony was just reminding us and kind of telling a little bit of Travis's story and, and Mandy's story at the Hill family of where, where we started together. And I don't know if it was probably seven, eight years ago in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, laying on the floor of Pastor Arnie and Sheree McCall's house. And the Spirit of God fell so strong in that living room. And it was that tangible presence. And literally you could feel a very specific like aroma of God. And it was the spirit of adoption. The love of the Father, the revelation of God as Abba, as Daddy, dropped so thick. And Tony was remembering this, and I remember it as clear as it was yesterday. When that happened, the voice that yelled out above all the rest was this man right here. As the Father was just literally marking his heart with the spirit of adoption. And at that point... You guys, you guys didn't have children yet. And I know Travis can tell a little bit more of, of his story and what he wants to tell. But God was going to take them, about to take them. He marked him for this journey, about to take Travis and Mandy on a journey into his heart as Abba, his far, heart as Father. And as he pulled him into that place, out of it, after they moved here, God then called them to Fort Walton Beach and since that day, when they literally God began to bring children to them, and I don't know how many how many children have you guys parented over the last seven years? Thirty-one children. Thirty-one children. These guys have parented over the last number of years. There was a really unique moment. You guys were in Fort Walton Beach, and we had come down for a little visit. And uh, come on up here. We had come down for a little visit. Katie and I and the boys came. And Travis was staying in this really swanky house. You guys had the coolest house ever. I think the, the hallways were probably like half as wide as this stage. Yeah. You had two refrigerators, two dishwashers, and a house full of children. Mm-hmm. And I remember we went out to the playground back behind you guys' house. I think how many houses were there in that whole group uh, of houses? Four at the time. There's and, more now. And you had seven or eight kids, children that were living with you at the time. They were all in school, and we went out. I remember you took us out to the playground because my kids were about to tear up your house. <laughs> so my boys went out. We're playing on the playground, and it had rained. And I remember I was standing on the playground equipment up on like a bridge, and I looked down, and there was this little purple and pink scarf. And I picked it up. And how many? There was probably, what, 40, 50 kids that all used that playground. Yeah, 30, 40 at And the you time. had had multiple children, groups of children come through that house over, over two, three years. And I pick up this scarf, and I looked at it, and I said to Travis, I said, oh, one of the kids must have left their scarf here. And he said to me, and I don't know why this hit me so hard, you said to me, oh, that's so-and-so's scarf. She must have left it on the, on the playground. And I don't know, in that moment, the Holy Spirit hit me so hard because I realized Travis knew out of the hundreds or maybe thousands of articles of clothing <laughs> that were probably all over his house, the other houses, the playground that got left out all the time. He knew exactly which little girl that scarf belonged to. And something in that, I, sl- I remember I grabbed the scarf, 
that revelation hit me. I slid down the slide and I put my hands over my face, face and I just started weeping. Yeah. And I said, Travis, this place is full of the spirit of adoption. Because you haven't just taken kids in just to watch them as part of a job. You literally have been marked with the spirit of adoption yeah. with the Father's heart and have covered you and Mandy, covered over these children and love them just like the Father does. Yeah. And to the, to the degree that you knew this little bitty thing about this one little girl when you'd had so many. And I just bawled like a baby. And Travis was like, it's all right, bro. It's just a scarf. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's way more than a scarf. It's more than a scarf. <laughs> so I want you guys to stretch your hands out to Travis as he brings a word. Father, we just thank you for the spirit of adoption that's in this man's heart and Mandy's heart and their life. Thank you for the impartation that this will not be a house that's ruled by an orphan spirit, but a house that receives everything, Father, that you want to give it. That we would receive the orphan and the widow with open arms. God, do a work in us and impart to us whatever it takes so that our hearts would be marked with the same spirit of adoption. Father, so we would open our hearts to this city. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys welcome Travis. Give him a hand. Thank you, brother. <sighs> yes, Lord. Let's just go there for a second. Because the Father knows every detail of your life. He knows what little article of clothing you've dropped, the mistakes, the good, the bad, the, the ins and out of your life because he created you and he loves you. He is a good, good father. And he has adopted us into his family. Starting all the way back from the beginning, the first moment in which Adam and Eve fell in the garden, we were separated from God. We were made into orphans. Completely separated by the love of the Father by sin. And, and every orphan story starts the same way. It starts with a family. It, Adam and Eve were in complete communion with God. They were in complete fellowship with Him. And sin entered the picture, and they were separated. And it's the same in natural, uh, with natural orphans that, that we come and sin enters the picture in, in either rules in death or in separation of foster families. But God had a plan. He had a plan of reunification that he would bring us back together. That he would send his son into the earth. That he would become an orphan. That we might become sons and daughters of the most high God. That when Jesus cried out on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means father, why have you forsaken? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the cry of an orphan. That is the cry of a child that says, God, where are you? Why am I all alone? Why am I lost and broken? That is the cry in our hearts when we are lost without God, completely separated by sin from him. But God had a plan. He's, John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever might believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And it goes on to say, not, uh, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but through the world through him might be saved. It paints a picture of Jesus Christ as a superhero. I love that. It's totally awesome. Galatians 4 tells us that that same spirit 
that Christ, before he went to the cross, he cried out in the garden. And he said, Abba, Abba, rescue me. And that same spirit that was in Christ is imparted into us. And we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, rescue us. And he will reach down and adopt us into his family. That we would no longer be slaves, but sons. That's the gospel of adoption. And that's what God wants to bring into here tonight. That here at Freedom Church, you guys experience it every single week. That you walk through these doors. You experience it when Ben Watts, you walk up and Ben Watts gives you a hug. You experience it every time uh, that Mike and Abby Caldwell, who are the coolest people on the entire earth, welcome you into this place and say, you can be friends with us. You can come and, and be welcome here. You experience it every time you take your children to our nursery workers and they say, I will treat this baby as my own for the next two hours. That's the spirit of adoption. And God wants to impart that and put that inside of us tonight. That the exact same thing that he did for us, that we can extend it out into the world and do the same for the orphan, for the lost and the broken. That's the same spirit that lived in him lives in us. Jesus, that was not in the notes, but God went there anyway. So God wants you, if you have not received Jesus, as your personal Savior. You have not been able to call God, the God of heaven and of earth, your Abba Father, your Papa Daddy. Tonight is your night. You will not leave here without that spirit crying out inside of you. <sighs> Amen. It's Orphan Sunday. I'm so excited. Yay! Orphan Sunday is an initiative of the Christian Alliance for Orphans that began over 10 years ago in a tiny little church in Zambia, Africa, and has now spread to over 76 different nations. Thousands of churches around the world are gathering on this day for one day, with one, for one purpose, with one voice, and that's to cry out for the orphan. That there's over... Uh, here in the United States, there are 400,000 children in foster care. And of those 400,000, there's about 100,000 children that have no mother and father, that have no parental guardian, that are waiting for someone to step in to call them, be able to call mom and dad. That there, there's about 153 million orphans around the world that have some need of assistance that will not make it without the intervention of believers coming in to rescue them. About 17 million of those have no mother, have no father that must be adopted. Otherwise, they will spend their life in an orphanage or a group home locked away with no one. And that's why we're here tonight. That's why we have come. Because it's God's heart, the Father's heart, that that would change. That there's, like I said, 153 million orphans, but there's way, there's about, uh, there's about 2 billion or, uh, Christians on the face of the planet, something like that. So 153 million versus 2 billion. I think it's something that we can do, we can accomplish as the church, but we must be the church. We must be who God has called us to be. And God, right now, we just thank you. We just stop and we pray and we say thank you for being our father. We thank you for being our papa, daddy, that you have called us into your family, Lord. 
that you yourself say that you are the father to the fatherless and that you have called us to be like you. You call us in Isaiah 1 to, be, uh, to defend the cause of the fatherless. You say in James chapter 1 that uh, you, the uh, pure religion in your eyes is to visit the, wi- or the widow and the orphan in their time of need. We thank you when we receive your mandate. We receive your mandate as a father to reach out to the fatherless. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. That got started quick. Whoa. Okay. Um, I want to say thank you, Pastor Arnie. Hi, I'm waving to you in the camera. I love you. God bless you and your family, your new little baby. Thank you so much for allowing me to come here. Um, Thank you so much, Freedom Church, for doing what you do for orphans. I don't know if you know how much uh, last year through Christmas, how much we, uh, we got over 60 children in foster care um, presents for Christmas. They were loved and taken care of. We send aid to Peru to see uh, orphans there reached and ministered to. Um, Nicaragua, we send uh, missionaries to Nicaragua to see that orphans are cared for. Um, we have children that come into this building every single week that you might not ever know were in foster care, but they are being ministered to by this church. And so give yourselves a round of applause for that. I want to say thank you for that. I also want to say thank you to another extremely special person, um, my beautiful wife, Mandy. Uh, Yes, give her a big round of applause. She is uh, the mother of all 31 of my children. Yes. Um, Someone asked me today how, how old I was, and I said I'm 31, had 31 children. It's my goal in life to have more kids than birthdays, so... That's my goal in life. So look for another hill baby in 2000. No, Mandy's looking at me. No, no, okay. <laughs> so she is my very best friend, uh, my high school sweetheart, um, my big part of my world. And if I could describe our relationship in three words, it would probably be Corey and Topanga for those of you Boy Meets World. If you haven't watched Boy Meets World, go and YouTube it. Netflix it, whatever you got to do, because you'll find out what mine and Mandy's life is all about. Um, I just wanted to share a little bit of our story of how we got here, how God has brought us along the way. Started for, for Mandy and I, we got married on April 19th, 2006. Um, Nicole was our wedding photographer. Hi, Nicole. Um, very first wedding. Awesome. Uh, we got married on a Wednesday night at youth group. We were longtime youth leaders, and so we wanted nothing more than all of our youth kids to be around us, so we got married on a Wednesday night. Our youth pastor married us, and as we got uh, married, we had this five-year plan. It was going to be great. We're going to wait about five years to, to have kids. We're going on missions. We're going to do all these different things and uh, become youth pastors, finish school, whatever um, God really wanted us to do. So we had this, this plan. Uh, and God, as he always does, changes things up. February 3rd, 2007, about 10 months into our five-year plan, got a call from Pastor Arnie. It says, hey, uh, we are starting a junior high ministry. We want you to be the youth pastor. I'm like, yes, I finally get paid to do what I love to do. It's exciting. All those who are waiting for a paid job in ministry said, amen. Yes, 
And so I'm like, yes, I get to pay, get paid to be the junior high pastor. I get to preach every Wednesday. So awesome. Uh, I get off the phone with Arnie. I look to Manny and tell her all the good news. She looks back at me and says, I think we're supposed to have a baby. Okay. I thought, okay, your news is way bigger than mine. So, but, so we started this road of youth ministry and trying to have a baby. And we were super excited. But that excitement soon turned to frustration and disappointment as after month after month and negative test after negative test, we struggled uh, to have a baby. And so about a year into that, Mandy had surgery to try to increase our chances and still nothing happened. So become really frustrated with the whole situation and on Wednesday night began to just cry out to God, God, give us a child. You, you promised in your word all these things and, and, and I just want uh, to have this little life and God stopped me right there. He said, stop praying for your child to have life. Pray for them to have fire. And then I think that's the case for all of us that God's got the life part. He's got giving you breath in your lungs all handled. If you're here in this room, you are alive and well. Okay, God's got the life part, but he gives us the responsibility to, to steward the fire inside of our hearts. Find it interesting in Leviticus chapter 6, the Lord tells the priest to always keep the fire on the altar. They were always supposed to stop the fire of the altar. Now God himself says, I'm an all-consuming fire. He shows up as a pillar of fire to the nation of Israel. He shows up as a burning bush to Moses. So I think God is fully capable of putting fire on the altar if he wanted to. But no, he gives us the command. He gives us the responsibility to steward the fire. He gives us the responsibility to steward the fire in our hearts and also the hearts of our children. That we're supposed to raise them up with a love and a passion for Jesus Christ. A love and a passion for doing his will and, and seeking his way. But for those 400,000 children in foster care and 100,000 waiting to be adopted, for the orphans around the world, who is going to steward their fire? Who is going to be that fire bearer for them to raise them up to love and to know Jesus? Who is going to be that person in their life? The question is tonight, is it going to be you? I believe that there's some fire bearers here at Freedom Church that will go and take their fire to the lost and the broken. With renewed hope, Mandy and I began the process to move across the country. As Ben said, uh, we moved down here from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Five families just packed up everything that we knew. Didn't know anybody here. Left uh, I'm born and raised in Oklahoma. All my family is back there. Didn't know anybody here. And it was during that time, as, as Ben was talking about, that, that we got together to pray and fast and prepare for this move. And in that moment, when God just began to pour out His Spirit and the, as the Spirit of adoption and the heart of the Father, one uh, member on the team just heard this word of, I just see kids. And that's when I lost it. That's when something inside my, my heart 
collided with that word. Something inside of me, my destiny to impact children, came full face with the, the living God. And I was completely wiped out. I didn't know what that, that meant, that phrase of I just see kids. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know if it meant we were going to finally uh, have a, a biological child. That we, we always joked about, about having Florida babies. Some nice, beautiful, tan Florida babies. I didn't know if it was going to be biological kids or foster children or adoption or children's ministry. I didn't know what it was going to look like. But I just knew that the heart of the Father was being drilled down inside of me. And it's a part of the DNA. It's part of the DNA of who Freedom Church is. If you come, that's why when you come in here every single week, you experience the heart of the Father. It's because that's a part of who He called us to be. So when we moved here to Pensacola, we automatically uh, began the process to foster. Um, on September 9, or September 11, 2009, we received our first foster placement. And we... Uh, learned something new from every single foster child that we had come through our home. Uh, our first two uh, amazing little boys that God blessed us with, it was the perfect first placement, I would say, for us. These were just two rough and tumble little guys, two and three years old. But we began to learn uh, what we knew about parenting, what we did not know. One thing we did not know uh, was how to care for African-American hair, and uh, these two boys came in with luscious, luscious locks. And so I had no idea how to deal with that. So we call up our friends back home and like, okay, we didn't know anybody here in Pensacola. Okay, what do we do? How do we do this? And uh, so they helped us walk through that. The, our second set of, uh, of boys that came through taught us that what we say to our kids really does matter. Uh, we had a, these two little boys came through. We were doing a respite care for them. Their foster family had to go off um, for a funeral, I believe. And so they needed a place to stay for about 10 days. So they came to stay with us. And we just did our normal parenting thing. Just try to take care of these kids, show them love and affection while they're in our home. And every night I pray with the kids. Uh, we, we say our prayers and I tell them sweet dreams. That's the last thing I say to them before they go to bed. Sweet dreams. And... A couple uh, months later, we ran into these children at uh, an event. And he begins, this little boy begins to introduce me to his new foster family as, this is Mr. Travis, he tells me sweet dreams. And the foster parents say, oh, that's where you got that from. So this little boy, the entire time after he left our house, began to tell his little brother sweet dreams and his foster family sweet dreams. That was his thing that he he, that we instilled in him was that you're supposed to have sweet dreams. So what you say to your children really does matter. It re they will really take it from the, your place to the next place. You can really have an impact on somebody's world by what you say. The next set of uh, children that we had, we learned a whole lot about God's patience with us, <laughs> and that three-year-olds have an extensive vocabulary, chock full of four-letter words, um, and they will use every last one of them as you're walking through the mall if you don't let them have bubble gum. Um, 
they will let you have it for sure. And um, I learned that you need those safety doorknob thingies on your thing. Otherwise, they'll flip the deadbolt and run straight out the front door. I learned those things with this set of children. Um, I learned that children are incredibly resilient with the next child, this little redheaded, beautiful baby that had four heart surgeries by the time she got to us and had more to go. But she could army crawl like nobody's business. Nothing could keep her down. And then we met two little girls that would change our lives forever. Two beautiful 18-month-old girls, twin girls. And we learned from them what it's like to feed someone that doesn't know anything about having food in their house. We learned that if you give a child who doesn't typically have food in their house, they like to double fist it. You better give them some for both hands because they're going to grab that, shove it in their mouth, and hold it there for as long as they possibly can. These little girls, we had to switch out the food that we gave them at dinner time. We tried to give them, they'd be eating Oreos or whatever the case may be, macaroni and cheese, a handful of macaroni and cheese. We had to switch it out for something like a granola bar that they could go to bed with at night because they would not turn loose of it. And those little girls stayed with us for about six months. And then it was time for them to go home as well. And the hardest lesson that we learned while having those nine foster children in our home was how to say goodbye. And Mandy and I come up with a ritual. Um, I look at her and I say, I need pie. Because pie fills the cracks of your heart. I don't know if you guys know that. But I need, I need pie. And we go and we write down all the things that we wanted to remember about each and every one of those children. And that's one of the things that we hear so frequently about why I don't foster. They, I, we hear all the time, I would love to foster but. I would love to foster but. I would love to foster but. And one of those big buts is that I don't know if I could say goodbye to a child. And I completely validate that feeling. I understand how painful it is to watch those children walk out the door. But to look at a child and say that I won't welcome you into my home because I'm going to feel bad when you leave is not a valid excuse. I'm not willing to give you a home because I might feel bad about it later. I can't look at an orphan who has no parents and tell them that. No matter what kind of pain and suffering we must endure, we must reach out to the lost and the broken. Not, not because we're good at it or because it will make us feel better in the end, but, but because that's what Jesus did. He saw us and he said, I will be broken for you. I will hurt for a little while so that you can be a part of a family. And so we learned how to say goodbye even though it was difficult. And once it was time for uh, these, little, these little babies to go home, God called Mandy and I to Fort Walton Beach we, to move an hour, hour away. It was a difficult situation. Mandy actually went um, to his permanency staffing for our little girls. 
and met our supervisor there. She said, hey, why don't you come check out this place? It's really cool. It's a community of group homes. I think you'd be great house parents. Mandy comes home and says, hey, I think we're going to move to Fort Walton Beach. And I said, hey, I think you need to be quiet because we were so invested here in Pensacola. We were invested in what God was doing here. And then God was calling us once again. We had already stepped out from Tulsa to Pensacola, and now he was calling to step out again. And it was hard for me. It was difficult for me. I began to pray. And one night at, at church, in the little house church that we were doing, um, God brought me to a scripture, Isaiah 49. And I looked it up. God showed it to me, and I walked over to Mandy. And I said, hey, here, look at this scripture. And she was already open to it. I said, here, you look at this scripture. <laughs> and he gave Mandy a vision that uh, these little girls would be lifted up and taken care of and showed us the picture of the house that we would move into called Susu's Cottage. Let me read you this scripture. He says, Isaiah 49, 22 says, This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the Gentiles. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. Kings and queens, or kings will be their foster fathers and queens their nursing mothers. They will bow down before you, their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust from your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. And I believe that there's kings and queens here tonight. I believe that God is preparing some of you to answer the call as kings and queens to be foster fathers and nursing mothers. To the lost, the hurting, and the broken, the abused, abandoned, neglected children of our community and around the world. So we trusted God. We believed in what God called us to do when we said, okay, we sold, uh, sold or gave away everything that wouldn't fit in our van. And we moved as missionaries uh, to Fort Walton Beach. And we just did what God had been showing us to do. Steward the fire care for kids, show them God's love, and do house church. So we began to do house church inside the group home. And the very first time we did it, two of the little boys got saved. And I don't even know how we got on the topic of baptism, but he said, I want this and I want it now. <laughs> and so what we did, we filled up the kiddie pool and put it in the backyard and we baptized them right there that night. And it was actually the same, same night as the first uh, P-hop baptisms, which was amazing. God just did it. He said, I'm doing it here. I'm doing it there. I'm going to pour out my spirit. And so we got to, to go and live in Susu's cottage at Children in Crisis. And it was the greatest job in the world. Greatest job in the world to be a stay-at-home dad. Loved it. And one of the cool things about, uh, about that job is that we had respite parents. We had two amazing sets of respite parents, Ron and Robin Garriga, and our very best friends in the entire world, Josh and Laura Beth Pomeroy, who actually adopted a couple of kids from Children in Crisis themselves. Amazing people. And what respite parents are, are folks that can come in and give some relief to foster families. And 
they are able to come in and tag you out so you don't tap out. Sometimes we need families to come in and rally around these foster families and adoptive families and give them a breather, a chance to be a married couple, a chance to, to get away and recharge their batteries so they can continue the ministry because foster, um, foster parenting is a ministry. It's spiritual warfare that you're continuing to fight on a daily basis. And so these respite parents are so vital. If you want contact with children, if you want to invest in the lives of a child, but you're not, uh, you're not there to be a foster family or there to, be, uh, to adopt quite yet, start by being a respite family. Start by giving uh, a time out to some foster uh, folks, some, some foster parents. And see if it doesn't radically change your life and greatly impact the life of that, that foster family. Amen? Um, so one night, where we, our foster fa- our, uh, respite parents come in. They give us a date night. So Mandy and I, we go to uh, see this movie called The Odd Life of Timothy Green. It's a, a pretty good movie, relatively good movie. It's got a good adoption story. Um, but God just began to download through this entire movie, from the opening credits to the end, God just began to just pour out his heart once again inside of us. Just began to speak through this movie. And we literally stumbled out to the car afterwards and just sat there and wept. And we just began to, to thank God for, for, for every broken heart, every negative pregnancy test, every single bit of brokenness inside of us that brought us to that point that said, you know what, no matter where we go from the rest of our lives, we're going to be about adoption. No matter where we go for the rest of our lives, we're going to be about taking care of widows and orphans. And God just began to ratchet that down inside of us. You think about a foundation being laid. The gospel was already laid. He began to put rivets inside of us that he can begin to build on. And it was this thankfulness that no matter where we had come from, that God was in control, that God was completely sovereign, and that God was God. And so going from there, I was completely and totally, uh, I, I say I was devastatingly encouraged that it was all worth it. That I wish I could stand here today and say that if God said in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as a young uh, youth pastor, if he would have said, hey, I want you to go live in a group home in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and take care of these kids. If, I, if he had answered our call of saying, hey, God, we want this child, if he did that back in Tulsa, I don't know that I would have ever left. If I had to take our, our children away from their grandparents and and move to a completely different place with a child in my arms, I don't know if I would have had the courage to leave. But I, don't, I can't stand here and say that God orchestrated everything and, 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 and you know, closed Mandy's womb or whatever the case may be and said, no, you can't have kids yet. I can't say all that. But I know for a fact that the Bible says that God works together all things for the good of those who believe and are called for his purpose. And God used that situation for the good to get me to where we needed to be. And I'm so thankful for that. God completely 
solidified our identity as protectors of the young and the innocent, solidified our call as to take care of, of widows and orphans. And then September 21st, I'll never forget this day. Mandy walks to the door, walks by me real fast and says, don't talk to me. I said, okay. <laughs> she said, I bought a test. It's been months and months and months. Haven't, haven't tested, uh, had a pregnancy test in forever. I can't take the heartbreak. I bought one tonight. I don't know. I just, I just have this gut feeling. I don't know. I don't know. Just don't talk to me. Hey, I won't talk to you. Um, she said, just sit there, play your video games. Whatever you're doing, just go. I'll be back in a little bit. And so I just began to prepare myself. I'm like, God, it'd be awesome if we could have a kid. <sighs> but please give me the strength to, to be there for my wife, to comfort her no matter what happens. Just help me. Give me strength right now, Lord. And then I begin to hear the sobs. I say, God, come on. <sighs> give me strength. The door to our bedroom flies open. Manny screams my name. I'm like, oh man, it's that bad. <sighs> I walk down the hall. She comes out in the hallway just dripping in tears, just doing this. I'm like, babe, I don't, I don't know what this means. I don't. <laughs> and she shoves the, the, the test in my face. And I look at it, I'm like, are you pregnant? And she was like, yes. And we just laid on the ground and just wept and, and just said, God, you are faithful. God, you are faithful. God, you are faithful. Six years, you guys. Six years we've been longing and praying. Amen. Somebody give him a hand clap. You started giving fun. God is faithful. And I say that, I know this is Orphan Sunday. God had, God had, had did it all. He is completely faithful from start to finish. That whenever he called us there on February 3rd in 2007, and said, hey, start a family. He wasn't wrong then. We didn't hear wrong. He said, start a family so he could get us to this point because he is faithful from here to here, from beginning to end. And he had this plan of foster children in the middle uh, uh, that we needed to walk through, that he needed to get us to. He called us there for those children. He called us from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Pensacola so we can minister to these kids. And he picked us up from, from Pensacola to Fort Walton Beach so we can minister to these kids. And he was completely faithful, completely just to, to finish from beginning to end. Our God is completely sovereign, completely faithful, and completely good all the time. Amen. So I immediately began to, to the, the next day after the shock had not completely worn off, but began to wear off, that we were going to have this child. I began to pray. I said, God, how do I parent this kid? This kid, we've waited six years for this kid. This kid is a miracle. There's nothing short of miraculous that this kid is coming to the world. How do I parent a miracle? And he took me to Luke chapter one. You can go there if you want to. Luke chapter 1. How do you parent a miracle? I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture really fast. 
starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly divisions of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both of them were well along in years. Once when uh, Zechariah's division was on duty to serve as priest before God, he was chosen by lot. Say chosen. It says chosen by lot. Lots, if you, you read about the Old Testament, they threw lots, basically like rolling dice. Some people will read this scripture and say he, he got picked by chance. And I tell you tonight that you might think you're in this building by chance, that someone just invited you to come to this thing called Freedom Church, that it was raining out and you didn't want to go do something else, so you decided to come and sit and hang out. There might be a pretty girl sitting next to you that you just wanted to hang out with for a while. You were not here by chance, that God has preordained this night for you to hear the gospel of adoption. He was chosen by law, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for burning the incense, all of the assembled worshipers were outside, are praying outside. It is good to have an assembly of worshipers. I'll tell you, you cannot do this thing. You cannot do foster care, adoption, global orphan care outside of community. You need a group, a team of people wrapped around you. And right now there's so many uh, people out there, so many foster families and uh, adoptive families trying to do it on their own and they can't. Why are they doing it on their own? Because the church hasn't wrapped around them yet. We need to be an assembled group of worshipers coming together to pray and wrap these families in prayer and wrap these families in love and wrap these families in service. It's good to have an assembly of worshipers. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Amen. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He, he is never to take wine or ferment a drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. This, this right here is the first prayers I began to pray for my son. I began to just lay my hand on Mandy's stomach and just pray these prayers out, that he will be a joy and a delight, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And uh, we used Lincoln is a worshiper, man. He loves to worship. Um, and even from inside Manny's belly, anytime uh, the song How He Loves would come on, he would just begin to flip inside of her belly. And I just say that as whether he's baptized from the Holy Spirit, even from the womb, I don't know. But I receive that as confirmation. So, amen. Many people of Israel will bring, uh, will be brought back to the Lord their God, and he will go before them and the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to wisdom of righteousness to, to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angels, how can I be sure of this? I'm old and my wife is along in years. Zechariah is trying to be kind. He's saying, I'm old, but my wife's along in years. That's a nice way to say it. 
The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Angels' resumes consist of their proximity to the Father. Gabriel says, I'm a big deal because I stand in the presence of God. And I came here to speak to you the truth. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this, till the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come to you in their proper time. Say proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of his service was complete, he returned home. After his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And the Lord has done this for me, she said. And these days he has shown me favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Zechariah goes on. After, after the fullness of time has come, it's time for John to be born. John is born. Zechariah's tongue is loose. He's being able to speak again. And he begins to prophesy. And he begins to prophesy over his son. And he said, You, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High God. For you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sin because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those in darkness and in the shadows of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Amen. Uh, how do you parent a miracle? By stewarding the fire, by speaking life, and establishing identity. If you go on to read in John chapter 1, the Pharisees come. There you go. <laughs> the Pharisees come to John the Baptist, and they say, who are you? You're, you're doing all this preaching, you're doing all this baptizing. Are you the Christ that is to come? And John answered them, and he said, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness. I have come to prepare the way of the Lord. I'm who my father said I was. And I don't think that John the Baptist, I, I believe that John the Baptist knew Exactly who he was and who he was supposed to be. He didn't have any selfish ambition of being something he wasn't. He was exactly who God called him to be. And I believe it was exactly because he had a father that spoke into him, that stewarded his fire, that spoke life into him and helped him establish his identity. I don't think this was a one-time event when Zechariah was prophesying over John, saying, you're going to prepare the way to the Lord. I think it was throughout John's life. I think it was... Walking John as a toddler saying, you are going to prepare the way of the Lord. That you are a voice crying out in the wilderness. That you have the spirit of Elijah. That you are going to come in power. I believe it was a daily event for Zechariah to speak life into his son. So that's what God has called us to do as parents, as mothers and fathers. 
to steward our children's fire, to speak life into them and help them establish their identity. But what happens when there is no mother and father? What happens to the 400,000 children in the United States in foster care? For the 153 million orphans around the world, who is going to steward their fire? Who is going to speak life into them? Who is going to help them establish their identity? That's why the statistics for children aging out of foster care are so terrible. Over 60% of children aging out of the foster system are going to end up in jail, addicted to drugs, prostitution, or committing suicide. That's their identity when they leave foster care. That I am hopeless, I am broken, no one loves loves me, no one will care for me. And they don't have the skills to go out and become an adult. No one speaking life. No one establishing identity. The statistics in Russia, as kids are aging out of the foster system at, eight, uh, at 16 years old, 50% of children are committing suicide because they have no place to go. And have no no family to help care for them. No identity to say, I'm going to be this or I'm going to be that. God has has given me uh, picture after picture and vision after vision of what my children are going to be raised up to be. I said Lincoln is a worshiper. If you met him, if you've seen him, you know he's a wild man. He loves to worship and sing and play. And so what we do, we bought him a little guitar and a microphone and we let him worship and sing. We play uh, Carrie Job and worship and he just worships the Lord. My daughter Lucy, who's another miracle, she uh, was born a month early because she was uh, stopped moving inside the womb. She had the cord wrapped around her neck and tied in a knot. The doctor said she had never seen any baby born alive with a knot like that. But Holy Spirit spoke to us, Mandy and I, to go and uh, to the hospital. And she was taken emergency C-section a month early. Spent the first two weeks of her life in the hospital. Spent a couple, uh, some more time after that in the hospital. But word after word has come that she is going to be an evangelist and to speak life into people and show love to people. And so I speak that into her life on a daily basis. She's nine months old. She doesn't know how to speak the name of Jesus, but she's going to proclaim it to all the world. She's a miracle. And we say she comes a month early. That's, that's in our time. I'll say this, that she was born on February 3rd, 2015, which is exactly eight years from the day I received that phone call from Arnie saying, hey, you're going to be the junior high pastor. And the day that my wife said, hey, we're going to start a family. Exactly eight years to the day she was born. So we look at things and we say in man's time, oh, she was early. This is, She was born exactly when she was supposed to be. Because God is sovereign. God is good. God is faithful. So steward the fire, speak life, and establish identity as what God has called us to do.
And that's what we continue to try to do of every child that came into our care uh, at Children in Crisis. Like I said, 31 kids in all have been able to call us mom and dad. And there were two in particular that really kind of will shape our lives for the rest of our lives. Um, in November, that was uh, September 21st, again, that, that we found out we were pregnant with Lincoln. In November, uh, my wife receives a phone call from our boss. Says, hey, we've got um, two little kids coming um, into care. Some special circumstances. I can't tell you everything right now. Just want you to know um, they'll be on their way. So click. Mandy looks at me after that phone call and says, I think we're going to adopt these children. Okay. I just, I just learned to roll with it. Okay, we're going to have a baby. Okay, we're going to adopt these kids. Okay. Just learn to go with the flow. Um, get another phone call. Next phone call. Hey, we've got these, uh, those two little kids I told you about. They're uh, both deaf, originally born in China. Um, they're coming to stay. They've come from an abusive background. Just want to let you know they're going to be coming to stay across the way from, from you guys. Okay, so we wait, we wait, and for these kids to come out to the playground. Oh, Jesus. These two beautiful little girls come out to the playground to play in our backyard. And I didn't know any sign language, didn't know what to say, what to do, just hi, high five, click, okay, smile, happy, good, awesome. Uh, and I sat down on the swing next to the oldest little girl. And we're just swinging, smiling at each other, having a good time. And I just say to God, God, I think I'm looking at my daughter. And he says, you are. And I just had to go inside, lay on the floor, cry for a little bit, and then go back outside. And from that point on, that, that day, Mandy and I went out and we bought a, a sign language book studied until two o'clock in the morning, just wanting to, uh, to communicate with these two beautiful little girls. And uh, woke up the next morning, didn't remember anything. So I cheated. I went and I, I looked up a couple of words that I could put together for a little phrase and went outside, waited for them to, to, to come outside and uh, went up to Ruth Ann and said, hey, you remember me? And her face just lit up, say, hey, you know this much sign language and like to play. We can, we can go with that. So we just spent the day playing together. And from that day forward, I'd wake up in the morning. I would go to that back door where I could see the playground. And I'd just put my head on the window, just waiting for these two little girls to come out and play. I'm like, okay, it's 1030, guys. Let's go. Let's get these kids out the door. I'd want to spend some time with my girls. And so again, in the fullness of time, God opened the door for them to come and stay and live with us forever, to be our babies. Amen. And so again, I'm like, God, how do I parent these miracles? We got, not, if Lincoln's a miracle to be just born after, after six years um, of trying, then, then these two have to be amazing super triple miracles because they survived um, being abandoned in China. They survived life inside of an orphanage. They survived 
the abuse that they uh, went through as, as uh, adopted children here in the United States that ended up, uh, landed them in foster care. How do I parent these miracles? And again, he took me back to Luke chapter 1. And I said, God, I've read that a thousand times. I'm trying to learn how to parent this little boy. How, uh, what, what else do you have to show me? And that's a really stupid thing to say to God. Um, because he's going to show you more and more every time you read it. <clears throat> and he took me to verse, uh, verse 57. Luke chapter 1, verse 57. He says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord has shown great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to give him a name after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, his name is John, as the angel had said. They said to her, There's nobody among your relatives who have that name. They come from a, a famous line of people. These are Aaron's descendants. So to switch, switch up the name is not a good idea. I love that about adoption, by the way. Whenever you get adopted, you get a new name. Verse 62, then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was open, his tongue was loose, and began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who had heard the wonderful... Uh, heard about this, wondered, and were asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Let me read that again. 62. Then they made signs to his father. They made signs to Zechariah to find out what his name would be. And God just stuck out that scripture, okay? I'm like, okay, God, what's the deal? I look down in my little study Bible, and it says this, that there's no reason that these people would sign to Zechariah unless not only did they, the angel close his mouth, but also made him deaf. So all this time I'm thinking Zechariah just had his mouth closed, but not only did he have his mouth closed, but he became deaf as well. And he experienced what my girls experience on a daily basis for a season and time. And he had to learn to sign to communicate with these people to give his son his name. And I say that, that might not astonish all of you that's like, okay, that's a cool revelation, I guess. But to me, that's a big deal because God began showing me this passage of scripture months before I met these girls. In his sovereignty, he began to prepare my heart to learn to know sign language so I can communicate with my deaf daughters. He began to prepare my heart in advance for the work he had for me to do. And I believe that's what God is doing tonight and has done before you even walk through the door. God was preparing in advance for your heart to receive tonight. I believe right now that he's preparing your heart to receive the love of the Father in the future. God is completely sovereign, completely faithful, and completely good all the time. 
The other thing that hit me about that passage is that last verse, verse 66. Everyone who heard this wondered about, about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? I think we should all desire that for our kids, of saying, what's this child going to be? We don't ever ask that question for this simple purpose. We live in a culture of abortion. In a culture that says, I don't really care to think about the future of this child because they're going to inconvenience me. So I'm going to push that aside. When a culture of adoption says, oh man, what's that kid going to be? I can't wait to find out and I'm going to do everything in my power to steward their life until they get there. What's this child going to be? We need to ask God for every child that comes into our care. What's this child going to be? What, what would you shape them to be, God? What do you want their heart to look like? We should ask the same of ourselves. God, what would you call me to be? What would you call me to do? What area would you call me to impact? Who's going to ask that question of every single orphan and foster child in the world? Who's going to take the time to say, What's that kid going to be? What's he going to be? What's she going to be? So we got to adopt our amazing little kids. Veronica and Ruthann, we, we like to go big or go home at our house. So Lincoln uh, was born in May, and we brought the girls home with us the week before he was born. So we automatic instant family we had to move out of the group home into our own little place and so uh, instant family automatic there are our triplets although they were born very separate times in different countries they all came home to us at the same time and i'm not here to say that adoption or foster care is easy it's a struggle it's difficult it's spiritual warfare but it's similar to becoming a believer it's similar to coming to Christ. And I'll, I'll explain. First, there's typically like a honeymoon period. Kids come into your care and there's like this, this nice little grace period where kids are perfect and kind and they use manners and uh, they, wanna, they want to impress you and do good. And the same kind of as, as you become a new believer, you know, you go out and buy a Christian t-shirt and turn your radio to K-Love and everything is going good. You want to do whatever the pastor says, and you read your Bible every day, and, and everything's going great. Just that, that nice grace honeymoon period. And then we have to figure out the culture of a new family. Our girls had to, to understand uh, what it was like to be in a family where we were kind and loving and gentle. They had to, we all together had to learn a new language. When we, uh, our first set of uh, foster kids came in, um, typical question of, hey, little buddy, do you wear you know, pull-ups or do you wear underwear? Simple question from a foster family, right? He looks down, pulls out his pants, said, I got my drawers on. It was a new culture for him. It was a new culture for us. 
he uh, come to Mandy. Mandy was a, a nanny at the time. And a uh, little boy that Mandy was nannying um, asked this little boy, like, so uh, where do you live? Simple question from, pointed question from a you know, three-year-old boy. Hollers from the other room, hey, Ma, I live with you? Yeah, baby, you live with us. It was a new culture, a new thing for him to have a home and people to love. It's easy to see the, the new culture shock when you come into church on Communion Sunday. Because um, we're always talking about eating the, eating the flesh and drinking the blood. And new believers are like, what are you talking about? That's kind of weird. So there's this new culture thing. And then things begin to get deeper. And there's this love that starts to happen. And, and we begin to, to, to maybe touch areas that, that we didn't know we had wounds in. We make new friends in, in, in the church community. And um, maybe you got wounded by a previous church or someone that cared about you. Children that come into care or, or, or orphaned. They always have abuse, neglect, or abandonment. And it's hard for them to connect. About 50% of all kids that come into care have either PTSD or uh, RAD, which is reactive attachment disorder. So it makes, them hard, it makes it hard to connect. And this is why. Because someone who was supposed to love them in their past caused so much abuse that it's hard for someone in their future to love them. It's hard to go in and say, here's a hug, whenever the last person who gave me a hug ended up not hugging. In the same way, Christians who are wounded by, by maybe their father or their, 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 their family, it's hard for them to connect with God as father. It's hard for us to connect with a new church whenever our old church wounded us so badly. Or someone in spiritual authority. Maybe we're, we're a brand new believer and we haven't really believed yet. But someone that held that title that we said, that's a godly person. But they wounded me and hurted me and abused me. So we have two responses. We, it is a fight or flight for a little three-year-old boy that liked to flick the uh, lock on the door. His was flight. He ran. We got close. It was time to run. For so many teenagers in foster care, when you get close to them, time to run. For our girls, it was fight. <laughs> I don't know what kind of kung fu they learned on the mean streets of Shanghai, but it is brutal. Okay? And they are so wounded from their past that the last person that tried to give them love and affection ended up abusing them horribly. And so when we got close, when we came near, it was, whoa, Dad, I don't know. Come on. It's time to fight. One day, Ruth Ann was so angry and so mad and just wanted to just pummel me. And I stopped her. I'm like, baby, you're not fighting me, are you? She just kind of glazed over and, I said, are you thinking about this person that hurt you right now? She's like, yes, and just broke down. There's hurt and abuse in our past, and we try to run from it. We try to push it away. We try to fight it. 
And God says, I want to love you through that pain. I want to love you and care for you and change it and heal it and, and, and bring you into and be my own. We try to run and a good friend said that, that God's, God's arms are longer than our legs. And as we try to run from him in our hurt and our pain and our abuse and our sin, he reaches out and grabs us and pulls us close. And the same thing for our children as they're hurt and abused and neglected. We need to grab them and bring them close. No matter what the pain, no matter what the suffering, we must hold them close. It got so bad with, with uh, the rage that were coming from the girls that, that they were continuing to fight us and fight us and fight us and fight us. Mandy and I had to look at each other the day before uh, we finalized their adoption and say, if it doesn't get any better than this, are we still willing to go through this? Are you sure that you heard from God? And I'll tell you, God took me straight back to that swing set where I sat next to Ruth Ann. And he said, you're looking at your daughter. And every time we run from God, every time we fight him, every time we push him away, he takes us right back to the cross. And he says in Hebrews, that for the joy set before me, I endure the cross, scorning its shame, that I could adopt you and bring you in as my own. That I... Endure the cross that I can call you my joy. And no matter how far you run, no matter how hard you fight, you are still my joy. So tonight, if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, the worship team would come. If you're fighting, if you're running, if you're pushing him away, tonight's your night. If you say, I can't call him daddy because my daddy abused me so badly. If you say, I'm not worthy of his love. Tonight's your night. If you've never called him daddy, if, you, if you've never said, Jesus, you're my Lord, and I want to be a part of your family. I want you to be my big brother. I want our Heavenly Father to be my dad. Tonight's your night. And if you've tried to push out the thought of being an adoptive family or, or, or a foster family, if you try to push it out and try to fight it and try to resist God, tonight's your night too. Right here, this spot, right in front of this podium, when we wrote scriptures on the floor, God said, write this down. Prepare the way of the Lord that you might see my glory. That same scripture that was prophesied about John the Baptist, prepare the way, prepare the way. God, Holy Spirit, prepare the way right now for people to come into your kingdom, to receive healing from their father, and to bring children into their own.
tonight, if you have never called Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you've never said, Dad, Abba, Father, I want you to be my dad, and you want to right now, come right here. Meet me right here. If you want to receive Jesus as the Lord of your life, and be adopted into his family. If tonight you're running or fighting God because your heart is hurt and broken and you have wounds from past spiritual leaders, I want you to come right here. Come meet me right here in this place. If your mother or father are peeping in your past, that you're struggling with unforgiveness, and it's hard to connect with God as your father because of the abuse that you received, the negative words that have been spoken over you. And you want to get set free from that tonight. Come right here. God. Thank you, God. And tonight, if you would consider, I'm not saying that you're going to bring home kids right now, right tonight, but if you would consider praying about becoming a foster family or becoming an adoptive family, if you will say, Travis, tonight I will go home and I will pray and I will seek God and I'll ask him, Father, should I do this? Should I become a foster family or an adoptive family? If that's you, stand to your feet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And here's what I want to do. Those of you who are standing, I want you to stretch your hands out to these as a point of contact that these folks who have come and said that I need Jesus, that I need healing from my family, that that's where it comes from. It's from people reaching out to touch the lost and the broken. So, Father God, right now, we thank you for complete healing, for complete healing from brokenness, from past wounds, from from spiritual leaders, from mothers and fathers, from family members, God. We thank you that forgiveness is coming right now, that we forgive those who have abused us and hurt us and caused us pain. 
We forgive those who have abandoned us and made it hard to love you, God. We invite your love into our hearts. We invite your love. God, for those who have chosen to accept you right now as Lord, even through the live stream right now, we say this, Lord, thank you for dying for me, for saving me from my sin. I accept you as Lord of my life. Father God, thank you for sending your son for dying for me. I accept you as my father. I will love you and follow you through all my days. And I speak blessing right now over every person that has stood to say, I will pray. Father God, I just ask you to impart your Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption into their hearts, God. Give them strength, give them courage, give them encouragement, Lord God. Give them exact words. Give them confirmation of what you're calling them to do. God, I thank you for the children that you are bringing into their homes. God, I thank you for, for the children around the world. I thank you for the children in this community that will going to be impacted by these hands and these feet. I thank you for giving them the Father's heart and the spirit of adoption. We thank you for all these things in your most precious and holy and powerful name, the name of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray.